0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. We're starting, I think it's six weeks on Daniel. Uh, I didn't count, so I don't know that for sure. But I think we'll be about six weeks on Daniel, six or seven. Kids table, yes, let me thank you for the kids reminding me. Uh, Any of our our kids that want to go sit at the table, they have listening guides uh, with words from the message this morning that they will be able to follow along and do tally marks and figure out how many times I, I, I say it. Early on, when we first started doing this, I have to be reminded. Usually, late Saturday night. Occasionally, I'm earlier than that, but most of the time it's late Saturday night. Amy sends me a text: "Sermon words, please, because I've forgotten." Well early early on i forgot and i think she forgot to send the text so she just chose some words and we were in the new testament i believe uh, i think it's probably uh, who knows what it was and and one of the words she put was jesus or was it sin i can't remember it was one of the other i think it was jesus well they got tired of making tally marks cuz that particular message i mean I, I should talk about jesus every sunday Anyway, but that particular message was very Jesus-heavy. And so, anyway, something like 72 times is what somebody finally exhausted, fell over on the table. And, you know, they, they got to where they were giggling every time I'd say it. <gasps> Again! You know, so anyway, that's what they're doing. Long explanation for that. Well, we're starting Daniel. And I forgot, I meant to put up the, uh, the, the sermon... The graphic I loved that lion head for that sermon graphic. And Jaden, it's not even in ProPresenter, so you can't get it uh, to put it up. I don't think I didn't put it in there. I wanted that up there just for you to to get the that that picture for me gives the weight of what goes on in Daniel. Of course, we we uh, when we think of Daniel, we think of the lions den. That's probably the biggest the major story from that book that we we think about, but. The lion for me was not about the den, but about Daniel. The, I mean, for one thing, he I don't want to give away the story, but he lives through the, the den, right? And, 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 and it was almost like he was the lion in that pit. But, of course, we know the lion that was in that pit with Daniel was the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. So there's just a lot of wonderful imagery, I think, on, on that, uh, in that graphic. I'll, maybe I'll remember to put it up there next week we're starting at the beginning. Makes sense? Daniel chapter 1. And the whole book of Daniel is about God's sovereignty. That, that's, the, that's the theme of it. That's the, that's the purpose of it. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, where uh, Daniel says, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of, of Judah over to him, over to Nebuchadnezzar, he uses the, the, the name for God there, Adonai, that's the name of the Lord. Now, number of different names for God in the Old Testament. Elohim, Adonai, Yahweh. Um, and then you have multiple descriptors that they tack on to that. My, the Lord who saves, the Lord who heals. You know, but, but this particular choice of Daniel's to call God Adonai is based on the fact that that word, Adonai, carries with it the meaning of either owner, ruler, or sovereign. So right off the bat, he is setting God up as the owner, the ruler, or the sovereign over everything. He's showing God's full command over the situation. And if you don't believe it, just that verse 2 says that Adonai handed over Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar. Now we've already we, we went through Ezekiel in our D-group reading and our, our Connect group lessons, and Ezekiel said, "Hey, it's coming." And as a matter of fact, Ezekiel was after the first wave of deportation. There were three waves of deportation, sometime around 606, 605 BC, the, the first uh, battle from Nebuchadnezzar in, in the area of Judah, and a whole bunch of people were taken off. Then around five. 93, I think, there was a second deportation, and that's the second, the, the, the first deportation got Ezekiel. The second deportation got Daniel, if I remember correctly. You, you connect group teachers, feel free to correct me if, uh, if I get something wrong here. The second deportation got Daniel, and then it was just a few years later, is it seven years, in 586 BC, that the siege that is going to be talked about, I believe it's in verse 3 here, uh, uh, no, verse 2, yeah, the, the end of verse 2 talks about the siege that happened in Jerusalem where, sorry, my, my cord is all messed up here. Um, the siege that happened where finally Jerusalem was fully destroyed, where they had, uh, they destroyed the temple, the walls came down, and then we move through scripture and we come, you know, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So that's what's happening. Daniel's already in uh, Babylon in this second wave of deportation. And, and everybody knows, Daniel knows, Ezekiel knows, every faithful follower of Yahweh knows this was God's doing. God did this. Daniel's biography, which is chapters 1 through 6, and the prophecies of Daniel, chapters 7 through the end, are are both examples of God's rules, God's rule, actually, over earthly kings and heavenly kingdoms. 1 through 6, God rules over earthly kings. Nebuchadnezzar, strong, powerful at this moment. He is the most powerful man that they know of in the world. Certainly in their world. And yet, he's no match for God. Just hold on, we'll, we'll see that coming up in uh, chapter, I believe it's three, uh, or uh, no, it's chapter two. We'll, we'll see how he is not as powerful as he thinks he is. But then the, the prophecies, chapter seven and following, God makes it clear that not only is he sovereign over earthly kings, he is sovereign over heavenly kingdoms. He's got the now and he's got the later. And that's the theme of the book of Daniel. We're not going verse by verse the whole thing. We're, we're pulling out particular passages. And I've got to be honest with you. As I looked through what we're studying in connect groups and saw what passages I was going to be preaching. Because I preach the same passages we, we go through in the connect groups. I thought to myself. And, and I know I'm, I'm ashamed. I, I get it. I don't want to teach the kids Sunday school lessons. I don't want to preach the kids Sunday school lessons. I actually had that thought because, you know, I'm arrogant, I guess. Um, it, that, that's really where that thought comes from. I, I, I'll admit my own failures because I'm thinking, I don't want to preach Daniel in the lion's den. I don't want to preach uh, the three fellows in, in, in the fiery furnace. Those, those, are, those are children's stories, uh, ch- children's lessons that we cover over and over. Come on, let's get to the, the meat of it. Well, after God had his words with me, um, it's all meat, right? I I need to hear, clearly I need to hear those stories over again. I need to hear what God is telling me as a 46-year-old adult through Daniel in the lion's den because apparently there's something I didn't get when I was 8 or 9 years old in Sunday school at State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi. So, after I repented of that arrogance and that, just whatever that was, I began to look at this passage. And I hear, not just in this passage, but in the six passages that we will cover, I hear and I see faithfulness out of place. That's the title of this Sunday's message, but it's also the title of the series, Faithfulness Out of Place. Some of the, the stories that we're going to look at, some of the passages we'll study, are going to be more clearly faithfulness out of place. But we're, we'll see two, I believe, it's two passages from the prophetic section of Daniel. And I believe we're going to see faithfulness out of place there as well. But we see it first here this morning in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 16. Now, if you're in connect group, we went through 21. We're not going that far this morning, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes. uh, Chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't really know those guys by their Jewish names. We know them by their new Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I had a, a seminary professor one time would never call them by their Babylonian names. He sort of felt like that defiled them. He only called them Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Took some getting used to. Verse 12 says, "'Please test your servants for for ten days. "'Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. "'Then examine our appearance and the appearance "'of the young men who are eating the king's food, "'and deal with your servants based on what you see.' "'He agreed with them about this "'and tested them for ten days. "'At the end of ten days they looked better and healthier "'than all the young men who were eating the king's food. "'So the guard continued to remove their food, and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So how did Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah end up in this predicament? Nebuchadnezzar, as was very common in this day, when a land, a kingdom was conquered, he wanted the best and brightest of that conquered kingdom to come into his court so he could brainwash them, basically. That was the goal. Uh, Daniel and the boys were about 14-15 years old. They were of either the royal family or nobility and most of what I read said that Daniel at the very least was of the royal, most likely of the royal family based on some clues in the text. And then they came in, and, he, and the king was going to educate them. And it, and it says, I want them smart, I want them good-looking, they better be able to do all these things. And that's what Daniel and the boys were. They were smart, good-looking, they were able to, to learn quickly, they picked up the Chaldean language that they spoke. It, they, they were smart, they were the best of the best. And, so, and, and the goal then was to make them uh, part of the king's court. Uh, advisors and, and, and whatever else the king needed. That, that was what they would be. And then we find them in verses uh, 8 through 16, sort of in the middle of what was probably, well early on rather, in what was probably about three years of training. Three years of brainwashing. That's, that's what all the, the texts that we have say that probably they, they would train their intellectual figures for that length of time. They were in for them, college, for three years. And Daniel gets to this part, and we see the faithfulness out of place. Verse 8 tells us that Daniel uh, had determined faithfulness. Determined faithfulness. That's point one of the message this morning. We see determined faithfulness on the part of Daniel. Daniel, it says in this verse, determined that he would... Not defile himself. Now let's let's be aware of something. We know all about the interpretation of the dream that eventually has Nebuchadnezzar out in the field eating grass like a donkey. What? Well, y'all read Daniel yet. But that's what happens. We 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 know that dream interpretation is there, but, but they don't know that. They don't know about the interpretation of of dreams. They don't know about the the coming status that they're going to have as some of the highest advisors in the land. Eventually, Daniel will become second only to the king, and he gets there a couple of different times under a couple of different kings. They don't know about that. They have no clue about a, a coming fiery furnace. And a fourth man standing in it. They don't know about a night in a lion's den at what will be a very old age for Daniel. They suspect he lived to be 90 or 95 years old. They don't know about that lion's den when scripture says they determined to be faithful. They are making this determination before. The question even arises. As a matter of fact, the word determined implies a decision before the situation comes up. Daniel had determined, and the three boys with him had determined, that they would not defile themselves. They had determined that they were going to be faithful. Now, we don't know how long they lived in Babylon. But if they're 14, 15 years old, in 593 B.C., and the first wave of deportation happened in 605. Somebody do math for me. Is that 12 years from 605 to 593? 7 to 600 plus 5 is 12. Yeah, all right. So Daniel and, and the boys had, had been alive at that first deportation, that first conquering from Nebuchadnezzar, but they didn't really remember it. They had lived under this... Uh, uncomfortable, wouldn't even call it an alliance, this vassal state that they were Israel, Judah rather, was in at this time, all of their lives. That's all they knew. And then suddenly, around 593, when they're 14 or 15 years old, Nebuchadnezzar comes and says, Hey, guess what? We're doing it again. A whole bunch of y'all are coming with me. And now I'm taking all these young people with me. somewhere in that 2 to 15-year-old stage where they were growing up under the thumb of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon because of, I would dare say, their parents and their own character, they had determined whatever happens in this situation, we are going to remain faithful. And they probably thought, well, this isn't too hard living in Jerusalem right here next to the temple, part of the royal family. Be, this, this won't be that difficult. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar's way over there, so we're good. Until Nebuchadnezzar showed up that day way over here and hauled them all off to Babylon to brainwashing. Suddenly, that determination is going to be tested greatly. My question for us this morning, my question for you this morning, I'm going to make it very personal. Have you determined to be righteous regardless of what circumstance may arise? Because understand, you may determine to be righteous up to circumstance A through L. Because you think there is no way M through Z could happen. And then suddenly you jump from circumstance D to Z all of a sudden. I determined in this section, in this period of time, that I would be. I was not expecting that. Well, ha, we have got to determine, regardless of the circumstance, that we will be faithful. Now, why would they not eat this food? How would it have defiled them? They, the food and the wine, were the, the, they could drink wine. There was no prohibition against that at all. The food was likely either, unclean, Uh, it was either, it could have been pork, it could have been uh, horse meat, that was very common for them, probably wasn't shrimp, Um, not in Iraq, Um, but it was still unclean, it was stuff that they wouldn't have eaten, that's very likely for the meat, but it is also very likely that the wine, and even the meat that they could eat, if they had cow or sheep or whatever, that it had been sacrificed to idols or sacrificed to the king who was an idol because he was considered a god on earth. So the, the food would defile them and they didn't want to have any part of that. And it was probably a mix of both of those things. And we see then these 15-year-olds, 15-year-olds. Now my son is 15, one of them, is 15. And I would hope in a situation like this he would determine to be faithful, absolutely. But we all still know 15-year-olds and 14-year-olds that we go, "Eh, ain't no way. We just just do. And we would hope, though, that we would have raised them so that they would. And here they are in the position where they're having to choose. They have determined to be faithful to God's commands. But as we move through the passage, let's not miss the fact that they have also determined to be as obedient as possible to the king as they could be. That has got to be playing in our head as we move forward. Now, they had courage to stand up here, courage to be faithful in the face of a number of different consequences. Uh, As we're going to see, it could have been a deadly insult to the king for them not to eat his food. If you remember back to the story of Esther, you couldn't even show up in the court of Xerxes unannounced. If you did and he didn't want to see you, he could kill you just for knocking on his door. So imagine if you showed up and said, I don't like that. Bye. For good. That's what they could have been facing. Of course they're facing what we would just call simple peer pressure. There are a lot of folks... Uh, from various areas here on this day, at, at this time, they, they, he had conquered a number of kingdoms over the last few years. So there were others that were going along fine with what they were doing. Uh, it, if they had uh, didn't get killed, they didn't give into pre- peer pressure. Quite possibly, you get the worst job. Maybe they still get to be in the court, but they well, these these this, these kids are argumentative. We don't want them around the king. We'll keep them. We'll use them, but they ain't gonna get the good jobs. Uh, the, the food was probably really good. I mean, if they were frying bacon, we know it smelled good. That smells unclean, but that's the best unclean smell I've ever smelled. And it probably looked good. It was the finest foods you could get. So it, 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 it looked pleasing to the eyes. Does that sound like a familiar phrase from the Old Testament? All the way back to Genesis. Nobody from home was watching. There were probably some others uh, from Judah, but all we're told about is these four. And nobody, no adults were there. Mom and Daddy weren't there. The The rabbi wasn't there. The The leaders of the synagogue weren't there. The, the teachers that they had had in, in, the, in the royal household, they weren't there. Nobody would know. Unclean foods, the... the, the, the reason for cleanliness was so you could worship in the temple. That was the primary concern about cleanliness. And so if they ate these foods they would be unclean, unsuitable for temple worship. The temple was gone. Now it got destroyed in 586. But it's gone. There's no temple to worship in so why would cleanliness have been an issue? And then finally what did they owe God at this point? God had put them in exile. The first wave in 605. The second wave in 593. They'd grown up with the, the war of 605, whatever they called it, uh, and, and lived under the control of Babylon. Why trust God now? He abandoned us. So why do what he said? Those were all Point number two, the external pressures that they felt to disobey, to be unfaithful. Point number two, external pressures. Point number two, external... There we go, okay, got it. I can't see what goes on back there. Verse 9 tells us that Daniel and the boys had both respect or, uh, as it says here, kindness and compassion from Ashpenaz the guy who was in charge of them they, they, he liked them these were good kids he they were they were they were polite they were despite their their station in life they uh, were uh, humble guys whatever he liked them now was it because god had arbitrarily just forced ashpenaz to to like them or was it due to their attitudes. Well, either way, in Babylon, as, quote, the enemy, it's a work of God. God had done this in verse 9. God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. And so he, he, want, he went to him and said, hey, this is what we need from you. And these external pressures would have been coming on him to uh, uh, not make that request. As I said, there was almost definitely others from Judah in this group. Just, just numbers tell us that must have been. They weren't the only four handsome, smart, uh, royal, or noble teenagers in Judah. There were probably a bunch of them. And so we don't have a record of anybody else standing up and saying, hey Ashpenaz, we're not supposed to eat this stuff. Is it okay if we get something else? So the pressure, the external pressure just from that would have been great. We know for a fact there are others from other lands here. So you've got folks who worship any uh, other pantheon of God's Egypt has been conquered at this point. Uh, Assyria, uh, the lands north of Israel have been conquered. The The whole Middle East has been conquered. So they have pulled from all over the place. And most of those places wouldn't have cared about the foods. So you've got that pressure. Basically, they have the opposite. The pressure is the opposite of those things that they showed the courage in the face of. So if they showed courage in the face of a deadly insult... Well, that means the pressure was, this insult could be deadly. The, the peer pressure, uh, the, the external pressure of, we may not get the best jobs. The external pressure of, boy, that food looks good. The external pressure of, nobody can see what we're doing. The external pressure of, we're not going to be unclean for a temple because there is no temple. And then finally, the external pressure of, basically, the same lie from the garden. Did God really say? Did God really mean that if you're in exile in Babylon, part of the king's court, that you can't eat bacon as good as that smells? Did God really say that? You have these external pressures. But I think in this case, based on the passage and and what the the author, Daniel, intends for us to see, I think the greatest external pressure here, here is the pain of a friend. That's the the message here. Ashpenaz was a friend to Daniel and the boys. And here they've asked for permission to do something, and it is going to potentially hurt their friend. It is always harder to stand on faithfulness when you have a friend who doesn't get it or could be negatively affected by your stand. I, last week, I talked about, briefly, uh, the sanctity of life. I talked about abortion. It is difficult, more difficult, to stand against abortion when you have a friend who has made that decision. Certainly more difficult to speak out against it. Well, it, of course, there's this balance of we must stand on our convictions, but we must, and this is going to be point three, but I'm not there yet, We must disagree agreeably. It's it's one thing to stand against homosexuality and say homosexuality is a sin and gay marriage is a sin. But what if you have that friend whose child has made that choice? And then suddenly the temptation is, maybe I shouldn't stand so hard on this conviction. When, in fact, the lesson from Daniel is not that we shouldn't stand on the conviction, but we should stand on our conviction in a loving way for those who hold different convictions for whatever reason. It's very easy to be dogmatic. It's very difficult to be dogmatic and loving. Dogmatic, not accepting, but loving. And so we come to point number three, verses 11 through 14. Agreeable disagreement. Agreeable disagreement. He, Ashpenaz is worried. He said, if, if, if y'all don't look as good after eating all this food, if you're not as healthy, you know, your color's off, you, you're kind of tired, the king is not going to be happy, and that could get me killed. Notice he doesn't say... This is a horrible idea. He doesn't say, I don't get your convictions. Because he didn't. Being a, a, in, in, in a Babylonian court, a Babylonian king's court, he would not have gotten their convictions. He wouldn't have. Just eat the food and shut up would, would have been most people's response. But because he had been uh, shown kindness and compassion, because the Lord toured Daniel and the boys, he says, You know, I, I appreciate your conviction, but you're going to get me Potentially in a lot of trouble. So Daniel then moves forward with a plan to agreeably disagree. Now, if we look at it, and if we just read the passage, we think, really, or if we put ourselves in Daniel's position, we, it appears that the only option Daniel has is one. Just straight refusal, boycott. No, I am not eating this food. The Bible tells me so. No. And then he dies. Great that you stood for your conviction, Daniel. But what would we have lost? Let's just hypothetically say that Daniel takes the nuclear option here. No, I'm not eating the food. Off with his head. And then that's a very short story. We get um, nine verses. We don't get a lion's den. Probably don't get a fiery furnace. We don't get Mene, mene, tekel, parson, the handwriting on the wall that we use as a phrase all the time, whether we're Bible believers or not. We don't get a view of the future, uh, uh, an image of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back the second time. If he says no, if he takes the nuclear option. Instead, Daniel, already showing his wisdom, already showing how God works through him, he is careful and considerate. Ashpenaz, I, I realize this is going to put you in a tight situation. So I tell you what, I'm going to talk to your guard, and we'll see if we can't work a plan out. So he goes to the guard. So you got Ashpenaz, who's in charge of the whole thing, and then I'm guessing maybe groups of teenagers had different guards that were in charge of them. Or you had one guard in charge for all the food uh, of all the food, and one guard in charge of something else, and so on and so forth. And he goes to the food guard and says, Look, can you just do this for us? Give us vegetables and water, and if, if it doesn't work out, if we start looking peaked, if we just don't have the energy, then you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do something else. I don't know what he was going to do. Was he going to start eating the unclean food? I don't know. Did he think that far in advance? That, that's a question I have. Did Daniel go, okay, if he says no, or if we eat this food and it, and it doesn't work out well, if we do start getting kind of weak, maybe they don't give us a good variety of fruits and vegetables. Not likely, right? Uh, it means the king's, the king's pantry, so everything's good. But just, just, did he, I don't know. What we do know, though, is he sought a solution where the king was satisfied and Daniel and the boys remained faithful the king satisfied, we gave the king what he wanted, and we remained faithful to our Lord. Now there is not always a win-win situation when we remain faithful to God. There's not always a win-win situation when we stand on faithfulness. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes an out is not available. Sometimes we can't make the king happy, and follow our king. But where possible, that is what we should pursue. I'm talking about at school. I'm talking about at work. I'm talking about in politics. I'm talking about at church. I'm talking about in every situation. We should be looking for ways that we can both live in peace with everyone. Romans, as much as it is up up to you Live at peace with all people. I think some of us have interpreted that verse to mean as much as it is up to you, live at war with as many people as you can, and you beat peace into them. It's not what the passage says. Live at peace with all people. And where we can, we live at peace. Daniel's method here is an example of how to disagree agreeably. It is not always possible. And again, let me stress one more time. They didn't know what was coming. Yet they chose this path. And then we see in verses 15 and 16, faithfulness proven. We see faithfulness proven. At the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. It all worked out just fine. Because what we know as believers, what Daniel and the boys knew as followers of Yahweh, is that God's ways are superior to man's ways. And it doesn't matter the why. Google someday, why are there food laws for, for the Old Testament? We don't know. There are some things that are considered unclean that, that, that just seem arbitrary. It was like God said, yep, you can't eat that. Why? Just because I said so. And honestly, I think that's what it is. They're, we say, oh, well, it, pigs uh, get in the mud, and so they're dirty. Uh, as far as I know, they could eat chickens. And you ever been around chickens? They ain't clean neither. They couldn't eat bottom dwelling fish, they couldn't eat catfish because they they have scales. And if you've ever gotten the muddy part of the catfish after you fried it, you know why that nobody wants that anyway. But it wasn't because it was was it unclean because it was dirty? No, it was unclean because God said so. So these these rules may not have made, may not make sense in, in, in the world. And again, how can bacon be unclean? I know it's fatty, but that's the good part. Oh, it smells so good, I can hear it in my head. And yet, that was not what they could have. So, was it just God wanted them not to have good things? No, God wanted to teach them faithfulness in a world where pretty much anything goes. They were a a conclave, a, an island of difference in a land that said, eh, whatever. And that's not even entirely true. Even some of the kingdoms around them had unclean things, things that they couldn't do. It, uh, later on, Islam, which is a uh, uh, kicked out of the family cousin of, of Judaism just later on down the road, they also see certain things as unclean. It's not the thing. It's the God. And so they proved that, that God would provide what the king desired if they were faithful to God. Let me say it another way. The, Daniel and the boys proved that what God required would provide what the king desired. Remember, Daniel wants to do that. Give the king what he wants and give my king what he wants or what he demands. And God said, here's your way, watch what I will do. Now, was this natural or supernatural health? It was, I, I just, the idea of going vegan. I like my hamburgers and my steaks. I mean, I, I could leave all the water stuff behind and, and be fine. You know, I'd miss fried shrimp po' boys, I, I, I admit that. But, but I'm, going, I'm going to miss the hamburgers and the steaks and chicken tenders. I love canes, man. So if I had to go vegetarian, I, I guess I could, but I don't want to. But I also, there's, well, you know, the questions are, how do you get your iron? How do you get your protein? I know that vegetarians have these answers, but in my mind, it's just, it, it's just not as healthy. And yet, God, and I'm probably wrong, okay, I know the dietitians watching, oh, here are all the reasons, I know, I know, I'm just not going to stop eating the meat. Um, they said, we'll just be vegetarians, you, you don't sacrifice your, your vegetables, you don't give them on the idol, so that's what we'll eat. You don't offer your water as a sacrifice to idols, so that's what we'll drink, and we'll be fine. And was it because they just had the best variety, and so naturally they were healthier than everybody else who was eating all these high-fat, high-sugar, they didn't have sugar, high-honey um, Uh, uh, foods and that sort of thing. Who knows? Maybe. Doesn't matter. Maybe it was just supernatural. God did something in their lives. Who knows? Doesn't matter. It was all to the glory of God. The point is, when God says don't, the result of not doing is better than the result of doing. Whether it's a natural result or a supernatural result, it does not matter. It's always better, and that's what they found. Now we could go on and our connect group lesson did to verses 19 through 20 but I'm in- intentionally stopping here. Verses 19 through 21 tell us of the reward for their faithfulness. Tells us about how they were the smartest in the land and they uh, quickly rose to the highest position and positions and Nebuchadnezzar was intelligent incredibly impressed with them and all that and it's a result of their faithfulness to God but I don't want to go that far this morning because again let me remind you that Daniel and the boys only knew that they must be faithful they didn't know that they would rise to the highest positions in the land they didn't know that they would Survive a fiery furnace or a lion's den or interpret the king's dreams or do any of that. They had no clue. They only knew that sometime between the ages of 2 and 14 or 15, they had determined to be faithful no matter the circumstance. And when the circumstances got even worse, they were already ready to be faithful regardless of the circumstance. And if that meant dying, hint, hint, the three boys, when they're thrown in the furnace, they're going to say... If we die, we die. But we're going to be faithful. So they're prepared if that's the case. Man, I gave away the story. Shoot. Well, come back in a couple of weeks, I'll tell you again. They just knew they had to be faithful. Because they knew that faithfulness is its own reward. Years ago, obviously, I was in high school. One of my best friends was the... uh, the secretary at the high school. Best friend's mom's, my best. One of my best friends' mom was there. We go. The secretary at the high school. She was the one that you checked in with when you were late. Now, I don't know if y'all, most of y'all, even know about this. When I was, in, when I was 18, uh, my family, my, my my mom, dad, and I got into a pretty major car wreck uh, over in Livingston Parish, and uh, if you've you remember my mom's been here a few times, and she's often in a, a wheelchair, and that's why. It's, uh, those are complications of uh, a wreck when I was 18 years old, so what's that, 28 years ago. Uh, and, and other things along, but primarily that's it. And she was in the hospital for, if I remember correctly, 13 weeks with surgeries and rehab and all that stuff. And, and most nights I spent at the hospital in Baton Rouge, Lady of the Lake Hospital, and uh, then I would drive home the next morning, get up early, drive home, or maybe even take a shower there at the hospital. I can't remember now, it's been too long, and, and go to school. Oftentimes I was late to, to school. Uh, I had kind of the ongoing excuse, and, they, and Miss Jackie, the, the uh, secretary, knew it, and this particular morning i was late and i don't i don't remember why obviously i just remember it wasn't because i'd been at the hospital i was just late to school so i had to go check in and miss jackie says oh were you at the hospital again and i said no ma'am i'm just late and she said oh okay and then she wrote me the tardy <laughs> you could have rewarded me for my honesty And she said this to me, I knew her well enough that I could joke with her, it wasn't a big deal, but she said this to me, and whether she meant it as a joke or not, I still remember this, so if you're watching this Jackie Hoover or Tasha Christmas, you made an impression on me at 18 years old. She said, honesty is its own reward. And I remember that to this day, and I had not thought about that in years until I got to this point. Faithfulness is its own reward. We may not get a reward for our faithfulness. There may not be a ticker tape parade. Oh, look at you. You didn't do what you weren't supposed to do. Good job. Everybody's so proud of you. No. no most people don't care. But God cares. And he sees. And that's the only audience we should care about. Faithfulness is its own reward. But faith, And also, faithfulness is always proven right. It doesn't matter why we're supposed to be faithful. It doesn't matter what the rule is. The fact that we are faithful will always prove to be the right choice. Whether it's we eat vegetables and not meat, we end up looking every, uh, healthier than everybody else, or we stand on a conviction that is scriptural and biblical and folks leave us and well, okay, It does not matter Because faithfulness is always proven right. And the third point that I think Daniel and the boys knew is that faithfulness sometimes results in immediate reward. Sometimes. It did for them, but it might not have. In truth, faithfulness did not result in an immediate reward when they got thrown into the fiery furnace. Faithfulness did not result in an immediate reward when he got thrown into the lion's den. Faithfulness resulted in capital punishment. God intervened. But the result was the same. They were punished and God rescued. As followers of Jesus, we are to exhibit faithfulness out of place every day we live out of place this world is not my home and now i wish so much we had sung that song this morning this world is not my home i'm here but for a moment it's all i've ever known but this world is not my home man thought about it too late oh well i sang it anyway it's not our home We don't belong here. This is not our kingdom. Every one of us, no matter who gets elected, should have a bumper sticker that says, not my president, because I got a king. That's us. That's the Christian. Now, we disagree agreeably. We try to do what is best for the government, but always obeying God. We have to be faithful out of place because this will never be our home. Christ was faithful out of place. Romans, he left his glory, but he didn't consider that any sort of loss to come down and give everything up that was his to be like us so that he could save us. Like Daniel, Jesus refused to compromise. Jesus even refused food. Right? Daniel refused food. Jesus refu- refu- refused food. When Satan said, well, just turn the stones into bread. You're hungry, you can do it. You're Jesus, right? And he said, no, no, no. Man should not live by bread alone. He did not uh, accept the bribe of food. And yet, he did not receive, Jesus did not receive an immediate position of power. God didn't say to his son, Good job on standing up to the devil. I tell you what, we're going to skip the cross. Good job. Wait, no. 3 more years. Brutal beating. The brutality of the cross. 3 days in the grave. All for being faithful out of place. But that cross, not the position of power, the cross His faithfulness is what provides the way for us to be faithful. When we come to Christ, when we accept salvation through Him, when we find our salvation in the faithfulness of Jesus, then we are empowered to be faithful out of place. As a church member, as a church goer, you will never be empowered to be faithful out of place. But as a child of the king, through salvation in Jesus Christ, you will be empowered to be faithful. You can slap Christian on you all you want to, and it's like attaching an extension cord. But until you plug that extension cord in, until that label Christian, little Christ, one of his means something, you will never be faithful out of place. This morning you can have the salvation that creates faithfulness out of place. Romans 6.23 tells us how we can do that. It tells us all about our need. The first part of the verse says the wages of sin is death. That means we are sinners and we're going to pay for it. Right? It's, it's, it's the result of disobedience. It's the same result Nebuchadnezzar would have given them and tried to in the furnace in the lion's den. You've been disobedient. Therefore, your wage is death. That's for every one of us. Because we are all sinners, all of our wages are death. But the passage doesn't end there. It's dot, dot, dot. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And man, that's great. And we, if we stop there, if we don't look further, we think, well, God's just going to take care of it. God's going to automatically save me. God's going to automatically take me home because he made me, therefore he wants me. He did make me. He does want me. But in the midst of that is us renouncing our sin and choosing Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus our Lord, See, there's, there's a, a choice to be made. Daniel had a choice at a, a particular point in time. Am I going to be obedient? Am I going to follow the scripture and do what God said? Or am I going to th- think that I know better and try to do it my own way? We have come to a point, you may have come to a point now, where you are thinking, am I going to be obedient with, to scripture? The wages of sin and is death, that's me. The gift of God is eternal life. I want that, and it is only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Are you going to stop at the second dot, dot, dot and miss the third part? This morning, you can have salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You can be empowered to faithfulness out of place. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you empower us to faithfulness, Thank you that you work on us to prepare us, to determine in us to be faithful no matter the circumstance. And Lord, I pray that when the opportunity arises, we are. And if it requires disagreement, may we, be disagree, uh, may we disagree agreeable. May we look for those opportunities for a win-win where we are faithful. And yet, we bless a community. And Lord, when that is not an option, when there are repercussions, may we be ready. I'm going to give it away a little bit more, but may we be ready as Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah were. Say, do what you're going to do, King. We will not bow. And we trust you with the result and the outcome. But Lord, this morning... While there are believers here that we all know there's some part of our lives we need to be more faithful when we are out of place. Lord, I pray especially for those who have never accepted salvation through Jesus Christ. That they would be willing this morning to admit their sins, believe on Jesus for salvation, and choose to follow him today. Therefore, being empowered in those moments to be faithful out of place. God, we pray for your hand this morning in this service that you would speak to us the rest of this service as we worship you, as we turn our hearts, open them up to you, and ask you to work in them again, that you would continue to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how should you respond today? Now, interestingly, every person who normally stands at the front or the back to pray with you if you need it is not here <laughs> it's, it's homesick or helping somebody that's sick so i'm gonna ask didn't even tell him i was gonna do it but dr buckley if you wouldn't mind coming forward here when we start singing and dr buckley w- buckley would love to pray with you here at the front uh jim walsh jim milton if y'all would stand in the back also and and if someone would like to pray with them about something this morning please do that We're going to take this time to do it. Maybe you need to accept salvation through Jesus. Maybe you want to be baptized. Come to that Discovery class next Sunday morning, 915, room F208. Maybe you want to join our church, be a part of this family of faith. Come to our Discovery class next Sunday morning, 915, room F208. Maybe you just have some things to pray about, and you want to go to one of them and ask them to pray for you. Maybe you want to come up here and lay it on the stage, but, you know symbolically laid on the altar. Whatever you need this morning, now is your time to do it. Share your decision with us on a connection card that I don't even think we have out right now, Um, but you can message us, email us. Let us know of your decision. Let's spend a few minutes worshiping God as we allow him to work on our hearts.